What's up, everybody? It's Friday afternoon, barely on my side afternoon, but uh, well into it on my colleague's side, John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Casenza. This is the Orange and Black Insider. We are hammering you with content this week. I think this is our fourth or fifth episode this week already, including if you include Sunday. But hey, hopefully we're giving the people what they want, right, John? I mean, kind of an important game. You would think the content would Slightly. Be... Yeah, you know. We try to deliver. We try to deliver. We try. We try. But uh, sometimes I, I like to think we succeed most of the time, but sometimes sometimes we falter. But that's OK. We are going to be taking your questions on this Friday afternoon as the Bengals get set to take on the Kansas City Chiefs at Paycor Stadium. And you got to feed them to us. You got to give us your questions a number of different ways. Call or text 949-542-6241. You can email us, theobinsider at gmail.com. You can get at us at, in a number of ways during uh, live chats or live feeds. There's a comment section on Cincy Jungle on the post there. We're also monitoring the Facebook uh, the Facebook page, the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, and those comments as well as the YouTube channel. So, uh, no excuses. Got to get those in. And then, of course, you can hit us up on Twitter, too, for a couple of questions. We're going to try and keep it to Bengals Chiefs. But if you've got kind of a off-the-wall question, I don't know. We may or may not answer that, too, depending on what it is. And if it's not of the offensive ilk, <laughs> we will, uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. But, of course, the YouTube Super Chats, those take precedence. And we are still supporting the Pollock Family Foundation. So, pooling that money there. And those will take precedence overall. But... Right now, um, we're we're taking them as they come our way. Get them to us. We're going to be here for just a little bit. We're not going to be here super, super long, but we'll be here for a little while answering questions here. Um, one of the things I want to talk about, John, just before, because I'm sure everybody now, that we always get these, is who's playing, who's not playing, that sort of thing. Um, do we have the Friday injury report out on Cincy Jungle? Because there were some updates. I know Jarek McKinnon, for the Chiefs practiced uh, today, I believe, and he had been out all week. So uh, do we have an update on things there? So starting for the Chiefs, the only player they declared out was Kadarius Tony, who didn't practice at all this week. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, I believe, is questionable uh, since he practiced a couple of times this week. Juju Smith-Schuster, he was listed on the injury report, but he practiced in full, so he's going to be out there. Everyone else for the Chiefs, I believe, is going to play. And for the Bengals side, it's looking like Jamar Chase is going to play. They haven't officially released, the Bengals haven't officially released an injury report as of this recording, but he was practicing all week. He was limited. They're expecting to play. He's on track. Zach Taylor expects optimism, all that good jazz. I think Joe Mixon is more along the lines of 50-50 because he's still in the concussion protocol. They're going to monitor his situation throughout the weekend. He's less optimistic, I guess, of playing compared to Jamar Chase. Thank you for the update. Yeah, the, the McKinnon thing came across the board earlier today that I saw. So that's an interesting player, a guy that, you know, man, when he's healthy, he's a weapon, but he just can't stay healthy. You know, he bounced around. He was a good player for the Vikings years and years ago. I think he went to San Francisco on a big contract, didn't stay healthy there, had a couple of big injuries. And then, of course, you see him go to the Chiefs and you're like, wow, the fit there is kind of a match made in heaven a little bit. So um <laughs> Him him being out this week, it didn't look promising, and then you know it looked like all of a sudden uh, he may he may play here. So looks like the Bengals are getting healthier and healthier. Looks like Chase is going to play. 
We're not sure about Mixon there. Uh, he's been limited this week. We'll see what happens. John, we have our good friend John from Kentucky on the phone calling us from vacation, he tells me, um, in a different part of Kentucky. John, what's going on? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Oh, yeah, I've been on vacation this week and uh, just chilling and relaxing, watching a lot of Bengals stuff. So let me get to it. Now, I've been watching the Bengals. Since 1975, that's as far back as my memory goes. I was a little kid. I remember walking into the den at my grandparents' house. My grandfather smoking a cigar. It's what people did indoors back then. <laughs> yeah. There's this guy. He's running off the field, this guy with white hair, and he's shaking his fist. And I'm like, Peppo, he's real happy. And he says, yep, he's the coach of the Bengals. That was uh, Tiger Johnson. And they had mm. beaten Miami. They had beaten Don Shula. And I go, whoa, what a great game. So anyway... I've seen a lot of coaches. So my question to you guys, okay, Zach Taylor has a chance to probably get back to the Super Bowl. The team looks just as good now as they did last year. Not here to bash Marvin Lewis, but Marvin Lewis could not get the team ready for big games. Zach Taylor is as different as night and day. Yes, he's got an elite quarterback, but my question what kind of credit does Zach Taylor deserve for the Bengals being ready for big games and especially coming out in the second half like they did last year in Kansas City on the road for the AFC championship and just shutting Patrick Mahomes down? What kind of credit does Zach Taylor deserve? That's that's a hell of a question. Uh, John, you know that. Um, and we'll we'll take your question off the air in just a second here. But uh, you know that, sure. you know, you and I over the years when you've called this show and others that I've been on, we've talked a lot of Marvin Lewis and primetime games and primetime record. And I mean, that, you, you and I have gone uh, over this a lot and I think you and I have been on the same page a lot. So this, that's a hell of a question. I hope you enjoy the rest of your vacation, sir. Thanks for, for calling. We'll take your question off All the right, air. But... And by the way, we will beat the chiefs on Sunday. I'm very confident. Okay. Who day? All right. Thanks, John. That is an excellent question, John Sheeran, because, uh, and he always he always brings the insightful commentary. I, I love hearing from him. But even when the Bengals were really bad under Zach Taylor, there were a couple of wins that they got in those first couple of seasons where you go, that's the big time win. That's the prime time win. Now they had some prime time blowouts. They had some other blowouts that you go, oh man, you know the the one game against the Rams uh, in twenty what was that twenty nineteen I guess uh, where they got blown out in Europe. And, you know, all these other other things. But it, it kind of started with that Steelers game, the old Von Bell, Juju Smith, Schuster game. And it's kind of carried, obviously, through the postseason last year and whatnot. The Bengals have just kind of showed up, been prepared and whatnot. Uh, I think a lot of us are saying, well, it's because of the talent. It's because of the poise of Joe Burrow. But you have to credit the coaching staff to some degree because in a lot of ways, John, in big moments – People, players stepping up and playing well when other players or other other teams would be tight, that's a sign of preparation. That's a sign of confidence. That's a sign of coaching staff being confident in the players they have on the field. So, you know, I, I to me, I just I feel like he deserves a good amount of credit, but I do think that a lot of the credit also resides in who their quarterback is and his resume through college and early in the pros as well. I mean, he brought up Marvin Lewis, and we always credit Marvin for, at least in my mind, taking the the franchise from like step A to step B, yep. A being the bottom of the barrel, and B being relevant. 
So why would you not credit Zach Taylor from taking them from B to from B to C? And you know, you mentioned a lot of it has to do with players. Well, Marvin brought in the correct players to change the culture of the team. Why does Zach not get that same credit for bringing in a new wave of players to be big and make those big moments count and actually do something in those moments and in the brightest stages? So, yeah, of course, Zach Taylor deserves a ton of credit. He's always going to be the guy that gets the blame when this team underperforms because of the talent <laughs> yeah. that, they, that, that they've culminated. But that's why on this show I've tried to – we've both collectively have tried to be the voice of reason. Like, hey, when things go bad, it's not always on the head coach. Sometimes players just underperform. The fact that they are in these positions consistently now ever since uh, they got the quarterback situation figured out and this team has been very solid, very well-balancedly built from bottom to top is because of the head coach and because of the vision that he that he's had for this team and his eye for bringing in a lot of these different guys that the organization has never even thought to go after before so of course Zach Taylor deserves a ton of credit for that he does but the other members of the coaching staff do as well and uh, you know I'm, I'm namely looking at Lou Anarumo. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think that the offensive side of the ball is a collective brain trust between Burrow, Callahan, Zach Taylor, uh, Frank Pollock having some input there as well, it would seem. But, um, you know, I mean, Lou Anarumo, not that he doesn't have the same kind of collective minds with his assistants, but, um, you know, I, I think we're looking at him more as a guy that's kind of spearheaded a lot of big performances by his unit the past couple of seasons. And don't get me wrong. The first couple of seasons under Lou Anarumo was, they were rough. Uh, there were a couple, there were a lot of performances where you go, Oh yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, you get, you get some personnel, you get his guys in here and that culture being built. There was a, there was an interview this week with Hayden Hurst. I believe it was with Renee Packett, who is the um, the ruler, one of the rulers of the jungle this week, I believe with her husband, right? Um, and so he, I think it was on that show, may have been on another, but Hurst talked about the culture, the culture that Zach Taylor has built, how you want to be in that locker room and how you desire to be on this team, which is a stark contrast from a lot of other Bengals teams, not necessarily pointing out Marvin Lewis because there's a lot of good teams in that in his time as well. Um, and a lot of locker room camaraderie to varying degrees that we knew about there. But uh, this just seems to be a theme primarily over the past couple of seasons that has been built under Zach Taylor, this locker room culture, this culture of guys want to be here. Let's get some of the bigger free agent names and build this team the right way. And also when you talk about like the talent that they've brought in and, you know, buying in and all that good stuff, but it's maximizing that talent, which is important too. Like you look at a bunch of other places in the NFL where some high picks, they don't end up working out. Like they've had, the luxury of drafting high in the draft in two, two for two straight years. And they've made the absolute most of it because they've identified the correct talent. And once in the system, they've maximized those abilities. Like how often do you get to, you know, top 30 picks of receivers and the first overall pick a quarterback completely being the very best versions of themselves this quickly mm -hmm. in their career. Like it's the expectation because you draft high and these guys are good coming out of college, but it's not always a guarantee. So the fact that he's instituted a system scheme, whatever you want to call it, that has maximized these guys' abilities. Like there's no other place where these guys would rather be because I mean, I mean, they're pro bowlers. They're going to get paid the very most money out of any players of their position because of how well they've done. And a lot of that has to do with the coaching staff, particularly Zach Taylor. Yeah, and I think there's there's a uh, I like what you mentioned there. There's kind of a trust element there a little bit, in that 
the players see the players, the, the other players that this group has brought in, Zach Taylor and company brought in, go, wow, they know how to identify talent. They know how to build this team. And then on top of that, too, there's trust with these players in each other on the field, knowing that they're going to be in the right position. They're going to be doing the right things far more often than not. And that's what's netting wins. So um, really good question by John to kick off the show there. We appreciate hearing from him. We've got some more texts and different things coming our way here. But uh, you're up, John. Let's uh, let's pick pick one here. What do you what are you seeing? Yes, we had a question from Joshua Patterson. He's asking about Joe Mixon. How do you think the Bengals will handle the Mixon situation if he clears protocol? Do you see them limiting him in the game and using Piran more? So, I mean, Anthony Samaji Piran has proven, if nothing else, he can handle the role as a starting running back in the NFL. And there's a conversation as to whether or not you know he's even been better and more consistent than Joe Mixon. So, with Mixon potentially back, coming back from his concussion, what do you see his usage compared to Samaji Piran? So before he got hurt, I mean, obviously not talking about the uh, the big Panthers game where he went off, um, you know, it was kind of like Mixon would probably get about 20 touches a game, about 15 rushes, five catches, that sort of thing. And P. Ryan would get about maybe five to seven touches a game, right? A catch or two and a couple of carries. That was kind of the workload. I see that scale, especially with Mixon coming back from injury. I see that scale balancing out. Uh, at least early on, and I'm, I don't know, even 50-50, but I could see a 65-35, 60-40 type of split, maybe giving Mixon more, but P. Ryan has proven that he can be reliable and effective in certain spots and in certain situations. He has proven it these past couple of weeks. Um, you don't want to say a guy loses their job to injury and all of that, but, uh, I mean, other guys step up. That's just kind of the reality. You got you to gotta go with the hot hand sometimes as well. Now, P. Ryan, let's be honest, last week, I mean, it was – he had some very nice runs, including the the big stiff arm and whatnot. But, uh, you know, you look at it and um, it did three. I think he had 3.4 yards per carry on the ground. So nothing super exciting there. Mixon, I think, in his season so far was in the mid threes. I'd have to look up the stats right now. But um, mid threes in terms of yards per carry average. So, I mean... No, they're neither of them are breaking off the big, big runs. It's more just about, you know, who can consistently gain that positive yardage, who can get, you know, drive sustained. And right now it seems like P. Ryan is doing a little bit better job of that. Obviously, recency bias plays into that, though. Yeah, we've had this conversation before the season when Mixon was struggling. P. Ryan looked pretty good uh, in comparison with when when Mixon's healthy, like they're going to play him more than P. Ryan. Like that's just it is what it is now the snap differentiation might be a little bit more equal because it's Mixon's first game back, but he also scored five touchdowns in like the last full game that he was right, there. Right. So I, I mean, I don't think they're going to limit him if they feel like he's healthy enough to play, but PRN will always have a role in pass protection on third down as a receiver. Now, like there's nothing that there's something I don't think that they feel like he can't do compared to Mixon. And I feel like that's important as the season goes along and they have to continue splitting these carries. But I, w- I would say if, if Mixon is healthy enough to play, he's going to get his usual usage. Now, in this spe- in this specific game, they might not run the ball as much as they did against Carolina or against Pittsburgh in, in mm-hmm. uh, weeks like that. But I feel like if he's healthy enough to be out there, he's going to get his normal amount of snaps. So good question from Josh. We've had a phone call. We've had the YouTube chat. Let's go to the Facebook chat. Eileen Barrick says, did Reed's, meaning Justin Reed, I assume, comments provide inspiration or a distraction? Um, 
in case you missed it, uh, we played it on the show yesterday with Joe Valerio. Um, Chief Safety Justin Reed kind of said that he's going to lock, you know, he didn't get names right of uh, the Bengals tight end, Hayden Hurst. He called him Tyler Higby. And then, of course, uh, there was I'm going to lock Higgins down. He kind of had a brain fart, so to speak, about Higgins' name and, and whatnot. So, uh, you know, he's got he he kind of provided a little bit of bulletin board material, so to speak, in the in the media. And then you had Hurst kind of fire back saying, you know, I, I'm not the guy you want to piss off type of thing. And so I kind of think that, again, the Bengals are not favored at home. A lot of people are thinking the Chiefs are going to march right in there and beat them. A lot of prognosticators are saying that. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk of still the Bengals not being the class necessarily of the AFC. They're talking of the Chiefs, the Bills. Uh, they were talking about the Titans in that regard before last week. And even after that win, the Bengals still aren't talked about in terms of upper echelon AFC teams. I just feel like, John, that this team likes to be doubted. This team plays well when its backs are against the wall, so to speak. They were 0-2, and Zach Taylor told us to calm down and relax, and things will come together, and here they are. They go on a 7-2 and run. Um, so I don't, I don't know that it was a distraction – I think it's either inspiration or not really anything. The Bengals were already inspired enough for this game. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the only distraction, the distraction for them would be like if someone's gassing them up, like, and that's clearly wasn't the case here. So I think you got a point there. They thrive on being doubted. They thrive on any sort of motivation that they can get their hands on. I think for the most part in the, in the NFL bulletin board materials, a little bit overplayed and overrated. Like this happened last year. I think it was like Logan Wilson commenting on Lamar Jackson and he said something yeah, yeah. that was that was transcribed as like, you know, insulting towards Lamar Jackson and like, oh, that's bulletin board material. I mean, maybe, maybe not. At the end of the day, I don't think it really pushes the needle for some people. But when you have a matchup that's this even between both teams, I think the Bengals, with their mindset right now, last week was so huge and we saw like how much they – we're clearly listening and hearing the talk about the strength of schedule that they have to play. And they really kind of weaponize that into like, no, we don't have to play them. You're not locked in. Like I'm not locked in this room with you. You're locked in this room with me. You got to face us. You got to play us. And that was so yeah. huge with last week. And I feel like this only kind of further ignited that. So I don't think it's a distraction. I think it just adds more fuel to the fire. Yeah, absolutely. Where are we going next, John? Uh, let's see here. There was one early on. I'm buying time, so I don't have any dead air here, <laughs> as we all like to do. There was one question about Tyler Boyd. Uh, yeah, it was at Robert Corkonen Cor- yeah, uh, asking about, yeah, how important do you guys feel that one? Okay. Yeah, how important do you guys feel bringing Tyler Boyd into the game early? Anthony, this is interesting to me, because last week I thought was a good opportunity for Tyler Boyd and Joe Burrow to kind of reignite their connection against the Steelers. Boyd had two receptions on six targets, and I went back and looked. Like, you have to go back to the Andy Dalton era for a game where Tyler Boyd had that many targets and that few amount of receptions. You can basically bet every single time that Boyd is going to haul in at least 50% of the passes getting thrown his way. And then against the Titans, he fell down on a route based off of, you know, coming out of his break, kind of tripping on the Titans' field. He had one really clutch catch on the third and short, but other than that, he was more or less a non-factor in that game. So this has been multiple games now where Tyler Boyd's kind of been an afterthought. 
in the Bengals offense and hasn't been a, a thing since what 2017 when he was struggling as a second year player I don't think it's out of the it's out of the conversation for Boyd to be one of the leading receivers in this game the Chiefs this season have been notoriously bad at covering slot receivers now whether or not it happens early and often in the game remains to be seen I would imagine that in Jamar Chase's first game back they try to get him comfortable maybe generate some easy yardage for him rather than Boyd in that in that sense but Boyd had a clutch touchdown against the Chiefs last year in the division winning game that was the throw that Burrow said like he told Colin Coward that that was the throw that I was maybe the most proud of in my career just about how perfect placed it was how perfectly executed that play was and it, it was like he's a red zone fiend when it comes to the situation so i wouldn't be surprised if boyd has a good game i don't know if he's going to get involved early and often but i wouldn't be surprised if he has success against the Chiefs' slot defenders i would not be surprised either and i think uh you know I, I think there's kind of a weird correlation here because there's been a i would have expected with chase out of the lineup he's going to get more targets he's going to get more looks he's going to get more production and it's almost the opposite. It's almost like he feasts more when Chase is in there, Higgins is in there, and he's able to kind of not be focused on as much. He gets the single coverage. And, you know, the Bengals need to play across the middle of the field, a short intermediate route, and he's the guy that's there. Um, Chase out of the lineup, which does not happen very often at all, kind of has dwindled his numbers, particularly the last couple of weeks. Now against the Steelers, I believe it was, you know, the Bengals just uh, what Burrow did is he transitioned from player to player really nicely in terms of, hey, you know, this situation in this drive kind of dictates more usage of this player. And so I think at the end of this, the Steelers game, Boyd had a couple of critical catches wherein he was quiet. And that's a team he plays usually very well against, regardless of who the quarterback is. Um, so, you know, that was a little surprising to me. But I think, oddly enough, with their star receiver coming back, you would think that that's going to be a guy that takes the lion's share away for, of his production and whatnot. I actually think it'll open things up more for him um, as as we go forward. So potentially, yeah, we're going to see more and more Tyler Boyd here. There are a couple of times in his career where those there's kind of some ebbs and flows where he's a high producer, high volume guy, and then he kind of lulls a little bit anyway. So it just it just kind of happens, and I I assume that you know he's going to be a guy that gets gets in the mix here pretty soon but um yeah I, I just i find it you know pretty surprising and pretty odd how that ends up working out it, it, it just seems that he just uh doesn't come up as big uh when chase is out of the lineup yeah and that was the case in 2018 when you know aj green was injured for a lot of that season and tyler boyd's production actually dwindled once Green left the field, even though he still ended up having a career year from a season-wide standpoint, his efficiency and his overall production wasn't as good when he wasn't on the field. And that's not an indictment against Tyler Boyd, but like you said, once you have those two those two horses, as Joe Burrow likes to call them on the outside, it opens up a lot for Tyler Boyd over in the middle. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, John, we got a caller, another regular calling in here. It's Mr. Terrell calling and checking in. Terrell, what's going on, bud? How you guys doing? We're doing good, man. Big game this weekend, you know? 
yeah. Have you heard? Game, man. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, I heard about it, but, but I ain't scared. <laughs> I heard about all that. I heard about all the locking the people up and all that. Yep. Yep. But uh, I gotta say though, man, our, our, our weapons is explosive. They are more experienced. They ready. Not to say that they they not injured though, but um, but I just think we're a little more hungry now. But, uh, Zach, he, he's a he's a good coach, man. I gotta say, I gotta give it to him. And um, I just believe uh, he's gonna come out top, um, at least by a touchdown. At least and, by a touchdown. Um, I, 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 yeah, at least by wow. a touchdown. Okay. I think so, man. All right. I think so. And, um, and, and real quick before I go, man, I, I just want to say, uh, Lou, man, I, I'm sorry, man, but it was like he might be a head coach or something soon. Yeah. Hopefully not not sooner. And um, I, and Cam Taylor-Britt and um, Bosa, they, they my rookies of the year, man. They, they my rookies of the year. And uh, I see your Charles is doing your thing, man. But we need some help trying to find a coach over in Cincinnati, man. I'm just, <laughs> well, John, I'm just John saying, can man. talk about that one, yeah, I, yeah. I'm just saying, though. I mean, but but, but you and you and Taylor Williams, y'all doing y'all thing. But <laughs> we need a new coach, man. Man, God bless and who they, man. But we we gon' we gon' we definitely gonna make the playoffs, and I think we're gonna win in there. All right, good hearing from you, man. Thanks for checking in. Oh, no problem. Have a good one. All right, you too. Uh, so talking about the coaching thing here, John, I know Lou Anarumo got some looks and love last year as kind of a guy that uh, would be potentially in the mix for a head coaching position. I think if I remember correctly, he was interviewed. I, I got to go back. I think he was on an interview list for um, maybe the Broncos. I, I'll have to double check that. But at any rate, I think not to, get, again, be super dramatic and hyperbolic about stuff. I think this game, if he does it again, against Kansas city. If his unit performs again against Kansas city, whether it's a second half shutdown again, or just a general, you know, play pretty well, keeps the points down. And he has the formula potentially to beat Patrick Mahomes three straight times, regardless of how this season ends up. I I think that this is going to be a game where other teams are going to take note. And I know it's, it's, not in vogue around the league to to hire a defensive coordinator. You want the young offensive coordinator, innovative mind type of thing. And this this ascension, if he does get a head coaching job, it is so much like Mike Zimmer in terms of waiting and waiting and waiting and finally getting an opportunity, finally shining, and then potentially getting this head coaching opportunity. So while I would hate to see him go, I would be very happy for him, but I, I think this particular game will potentially say a lot for Luan Rumo as a as a head coaching candidate somewhere else in 2023. Because man, if you're able to to stifle the Chiefs three straight times once in the playoffs, that's that's a big deal. Yeah, it seems like his biggest competition is D'Amico Ryan's, who's the, the defensive coordinator for yeah. the 49ers, also yeah. coordinating yeah. a very elite defense, and he was involved. I think I don't know if he was interviewed last year, but he his name came up in the conversation about who's next up in the in the head coaching ranks. And like you said, it's very rare for defensive-minded guys to be head coaches nowadays because of how the NFL has been trending. So it feels like maybe one is, is all you can expect in any given year, and that's probably going to be D'Amico Ryan's this season, on, on top of the fact that Anna Rumo is probably, what, 20 years older than him, so maybe teams want to go more of, more of a younger route. And also – 
and it ultimately depends on what Anaruma wants to do. Like there, I, I think in general you can assume that anytime you get an opportunity, a legit opportunity to be a head coach, more times than not, those guys are going to take that. But we don't really know personally what Anaruma wants. This is his fourth year. As a defensive coordinator, he might just like what he has in Cincinnati and might just want to stick around. And it might just be the fact that the perfect opportunity hasn't come up for him or maybe it won't come up for him in this coaching circle. So I, I do think that there's ample amounts of respect for what he's done, specifically against the best offenses in the NFL. But yeah, it's far from a certain thing. Even a successful coordinator uh, gets a job because of just how the NFL has been trending. Brian and Iowa resident stand-up comedian here. Uh, Broncos made the right head coaching choice there, going the unproven younger uh, offensive mind, obviously talking about Nathaniel Hackett, who is having a rough, rough season there. Uh, where are we going next, Sean? <laughs> well, well, just real quick, because I was I was really in my bag last year when the Bearcats were on the prowl for the college football playoff. You've been very quiet about USC this season. Is it because they haven't locked up? That final spot, like, like that comes tonight. Game. That happens yeah. tonight. Uh, they've. Got, I actually, yeah. I, I, just because I'm so used to the Saturday schedule, I was like, oh, they they play tomorrow night. Uh, but I was like, oh no, that's that's tonight. Um, this is, uh, for those who do not know, the the Trojans. I think are ten and one right now. The only loss they have suffered is against Utah in Utah by a point, with Utah going for a two point conversion at the very end and the USC defense couldn't stop them. And this is the team that they are playing for the Pac-12 championship again. So the only team they have lost to this year who has given them problems, that's who they play this year and, or right now for the for the Pac-12 title. And obviously, if they win that game, you would think that they're going to be in that top four and in, in, in the playoff, which is an incredible turnaround for the for the Trojans there. But uh, I think I'm more kind of just stunned at what I've, what I've seen from them because they just – especially on offense, man, they just get after it. And uh, they lost Travis Dye of the, the Dye family dynasty in the Pac-12, uh, brother of, of, I think it was Tony Dye, who was with the Bengals, former safety, played at UCLA. Um, so, yeah, uh, he, they lost him to an injury, and then they just kind of seemingly haven't really missed a beat, and they keep going, but this is going to be a tough one for them. They're going to need to put up a lot of points and get basically one more stop than they did last time. When you need points, it's good to have both Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley kind of spearheading yeah. the effort. So what about what about UC, man? I mean, Lindsay's asking about it. UC let, has let, an open coaching position. Let, let's not talk about it. I'm, okay. I'm, okay. N- right. No comment until a hire has been made. Okay. And even then, okay. might still be no comment. We're going okay. to go back to Facebook for this next question from James Hawley. He's asking who wins the battle in the trenches, the Chiefs defensive line to the Bengals offensive line. And how do you limit Chris Jones? Well, Anthony, I think we can both agree that you don't limit Chris Jones. You can just only hope and pray that he misses some of those sacks, which happened to be the difference in that AFC championship game. It wasn't always like Burrow didn't play fantastic in that game, but the best plays that he made were arguably getting out of the pocket and evading Chris Jones and company and keeping yep. plays alive and converting third downs. And had Chris Jones made one or two more sacks in that game, we talked about this with Joe Valerio, that game probably goes differently. And I think it was interesting, Anthony, when Valerio said that Chris Jones has been playing like a better teammate and he's been, I guess, more concerned about making sure that plays were finished for his team rather than just him racking up individual production, which is interesting to hear. I don't really know how to feel about that. I feel like as long as you finish sacks, you're helping the team. But, I mean, there's no real limiting Chris Jones. You just got to hope and pray that Cordell and Alex Cap do their jobs, right? 
I would think so. And I, I, I found that to be an interesting comment as well. But, I mean, do, do you know how many, just offhand, do you know how many sacks Chris Jones has on the year? I believe he has 10, according to PFF. He does, he does have 10. Yeah. So yeah. he is getting after it. And he is getting after it at a high level as he usually does. So this, what's interesting is we talked, Joe talked about how he's not really, he's trying not to play hero ball, right? Is what I would, I guess would call it. You know, he's not trying to do everything himself and getting after it. And maybe he's being a little more team oriented in his mindset, but he's still playing hero ball. He's still getting 10 sacks on the season and getting after it. I think this is a big game, a big barometer game for the Bengals offensive line, the rebuilt unit because we've talked about how they've done really well on the interior in terms of passing off twists and stunts and whatnot from one and the other. Um, I think it was against Tennessee last week. Karras uh, took a pass off. I believe it was from Kappa and it ended up leading to the only, you know, he got, he got walked back a little bit, ended up leading to the only sack of Burrow in the game, which was, which was a bummer, but they are far more effective at it this year. You would tend to think that, there will be a cleaner pockets this time around for Joe Burrow uh, and more frequently than there was in the AFC championship game or, or either game last year. So, yeah, I mean, he's going to be someone to deal with. There is no doubt about it. it that interior offensive line that's been rebuilt is going to have their hands full. I think it's a good battle to watch. And, um, you know, again, 10 sacks is 10 sacks. It's funny to, to hear him say, Oh, he's just, you know, he's kind of playing a more passive role and I'm looking at the stacks the stats going, I, I don't, I don't see that, but I mean, I, I, I don't not believe him. I'm sure it is that, but I, the stats just tell that he's still dominating and not necessarily doing things. Hey, I'm going to open things up for other players, you know? Yeah. I guess the more I think about it, the more I realize that probably means like playing within the scheme and not like attacking a certain gap when you feel like it's, it's primed to be exploited and therefore kind of leaving other guys out to dry. So if he's playing within more of the confines of what he's asked to do and that's leading to more production i feel like that is kind of how you lead to the same amount of production or even increased production by not trying to do everything and i think also an underrated player to watch here we talked about him leading up to the draft george carl loftus and i feel like he's important to watch just because you know of the pressures that the Bengals have allowed this season most of them have come off the edge that's where carl loftus plays but also the fact that you have a guy in Burrow who's great at extending plays. If you have an equally <laughs> intense edge rusher who doesn't give up on plays because that seems to be Carl Loftus's greatest strength, like that is going to be interesting to see if he finishes some of those pressures, if he turns those hurries into sacks, if he turns those potential positive plays for the Bengals to negative plays for the Chiefs side. Carl Loftus is going to be someone to watch for sure. Robert uh, asking, are there any Bengals bars in Southern California that you know of? Hey, hit me up on... Uh... Uh, hit me up on the side, Robert, whether it's direct, uh, direct message or whatnot. Um, there is one in LA. It just kind of depends on where in Southern California you are looking at. I did get in touch with somebody who listens to the show and they uh, have been watching uh, at, at this, he, you know, kind of wanted to do a get together thing in, in more orange County as well. So it kind of depends on where you're looking at. Hit me up on the side there and I'll, uh, and if anyone is interested in that and, or if you're in the Southern California area, let me know. And we can try and get, spearhead a Bengals get together of some kind get get a venue going make it a somewhat regular thing but uh yeah let me know robert um and i'll i'll cue you in on some of that stuff uh so we had a text we haven't gotten to a text yet 
Um, we had a text, John, and it is from Akila. And this, looking at, you know, just a string of texts from Akila, who has texted us before. Akila is a very big draft-focused listener. Uh, the last text in January <laughs> was about what are the top three needs for the Bengals. Um, and then, you know, I love talking future and a lot of questions will be about this week in the playoffs. So I'll pivot the top three needs for me, for the Bengals, edge rusher, three technique cornerback. Uh, do you agree with that and, or why or why not? Yeah, I don't disagree necessarily. I I feel like so much is unknown about the future cornerback just because of Cheeto's injury. Eli Apple's becoming a free agent. You like what Taylor Britt has shown in five games, but you know, there's, there's still a lot of unknown. Three technique, I feel like, is the most underrated need just because they've had little to no pass rushing production from that spot. They have a lot of guys there, and they have Hill and Carter under contract for a few more years, but they could definitely use a boost there. I think with Edge, you're banking on Osai just continuing to grow into the role of being that third edge rusher. Obviously, you're comfortable with the starters, but you could always use more depth threat. I feel like offensive tackle is still like the need on the offensive side of the ball if we're going to include them that will be most focused on at least with this team from a long-term perspective they don't they don't hesitate with addressing that position early in the draft especially even if they have both starters under contract for the time being but just because you've dealt with injuries with Lyle Collins you have Jonah Williams not having his best season also entering the last year of his deal I wouldn't be surprised if they look at that and say hey we need a long term we have a long-term need here if we have the chance to draft one early in the draft they're not going to hesitate to pull the trigger there yeah, our buddy Derek uh, from Bengals and Brews, they he he corroborates there the orange arrow, Derek Davis. Um, yeah, so I, I again, it's kind of how you put it. It's when you when you talk about corner and you talk about edge, it's it's more about what are you going to get out of those investments from the last couple of off seasons in terms of Osai and Cam Taylor Britt. It looks like Taylor Britt's going to be a guy that you can rely on. Um, and I, there are still some rookie mistakes and things being made there, but I've already noticed that similar mistakes or, you know, a lot of mental errors are not part of what he's, uh, what's happening there. Right. I mean, I, it, I feel like there's some growth that's being seen there, which is really, really positive. And then of course, you know, Osai has all the tools to be successful and be a good, at least situational pass rusher it's more about just harnessing that potential and and kind of being a bit more consistent with it uh he does have a sack earlier this year but uh, other than that he's been pretty quiet so yeah i mean the Bengals need to get more pass rush help and that's whether it's the interior they miss larry ogunjobi i feel like i've said that 18 times on various shows um they, they miss larry ogunjobi and what he brought last year and they need to find a guy on the interior who can provide some form of a spark because i think bj hill is a very effective player, but BJ Hill is an effective player in the, in the role that he was in last year, or maybe this current role, but with someone heavily rotating in with him as well. Um, and I think that's what made he and Ogunjobi so effective last year is they were, they moved around a little bit. They were able to kind of spell each other at certain times and it just worked out very well. And now, you know, because the Bengals are trying to groom other players and they've they've really increased B.J. Hill's role, and rightfully so. He had a good year for him last year. You're just kind of seeing a little bit of uh, – B.J. Hill still made some plays, but it's not to the same consistency level that we saw last year. And I think that's just really a matter of just 
snap splitting, right? I mean, and snap splitting with another effective player who is also benefiting from that. Yeah, more is not always um, better, I guess, in terms of that particular side of things with Hill. He's always been a great run defender. He's always been more of a nose tackle type of, of player. But yeah, the more times he's in on, on passing downs, you're going to see that production and efficiency as a pass rusher kind of dip a little bit. Yeah, uh, we'll get into just a couple more. I think we'll hop on out of here. We've gotten to a lot here. We appreciate all the calls, texts, YouTube chats, all kinds of stuff. Um, this wasn't really a, uh, and, and you're up next, John, but I did want to at least acknowledge this on the um, live chat stream on Cincy Jungle. Um, I have actually, I, I've seen only parts of this, but uh, RJ Pro says, Anthony, I know this is off topic, but if you get a chance to interview Bob Trumpy on both his career and the documentary he did on Greg Cook, that would be awesome. So we'll have to look into that. I know our guy, Bengal Jim and his and his crew have uh, had Bob Trumpy on their show before too. So, uh, and I've seen and heard about this documentary. I haven't seen all of it though. So we'll, we'll look into that and hopefully we can get a guy like that on. Bob Trumpy is uh, a Bengals legend in a lot of ways, not only as a player, but had a very long broadcasting career and a good one there. So um, we'll look into that, but where are we going next, John? Um, we'll, we'll get out of here in a couple minutes, I think here. Um, but are you seeing something else striking you? Yeah. So let's, let's address, one of our favorite players, Mark Fry, is asking, are we going to see more of Trenton Irwin now that Jamar Chase is presumably going to return as a starter and this offense doesn't like to rotate out their starting three receivers and the only time that they do come out is on run plays when they have guys like Stanley Morgan run blocking. But Irwin elevated himself to be the number three receiver when Jamar Chase wasn't healthy, so it it, it leads us to believe that he's probably number four on the depth chart. So yeah, we'll see him out there from time to time. I don't think, I mean, even when he was starting, he didn't get a ton of targets necessarily. It was still, it was still T Higgins and Tyler Boyd getting the line share, but there's something to be said about a guy who truly does make the most of his opportunities. And if, if Joe Burrow sees him with a one-on-one on a crucial down, I don't, I don't think that, he's going to be shy in targeting him and featuring him on some of these plays. So more trender when no, because he's not going to play as much, but to him getting those chances to make those plays when he is out there. Yeah. I think that that will remain to be the case for as long as he's in Cincinnati. I think he's earned a shot and I think it, I don't think he's going to be getting a, 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 you know, a ton more looks or snaps or anything like that with chase back. And by the way, I'm seeing stuff on the Twitter timeline that it looked like chase went full today. Um, so that's, that's good stuff. Uh, but here's the thing. Um, I, I still see him as a guy when you don't expect it, you don't expect the ball to come his way in a big game in a big moment all of a sudden he's going to come up with that first down catch. That's what happened last week, right? I mean, he made that awesome catch along the the sideline back shoulder throw. By the way, go check out uh, JT O'Sullivan's podcast if you have not yet. I think it's the quarterback school, right? Isn't that Mm -hmm. what it is? Um, The episode he did this week on back shoulder throws and Joe Burrow against Titans, that was like an excellent – it's like 18 minutes. It's awesome. Um, And he highlights one of those those – catches by Irwin there I think that's where you're just going to see him you're just going to see him get those one to two catches a game potentially and one of them is going to come at a critical time when you least expect it it may not be a touchdown it may just be a chain moving play where you go nice play let's pick it up and keep moving and I I think 
it, not to disrespect what he does or what he has done. I just feel like it's going to be one of those types of things where he just makes that one play in a game where you go, awesome. Let's, let's hang our hat on that and move on, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think we got a couple of super chats here late. Look at this. Um, well, this isn't really a question from who day, but thank you so much. That's going to help out the Pollock family foundation. Jamar Taylor Higby will burn Reed. Okay. Um, I think I uh, just real quick to touch on that. What do you think about what, what are your expectations for chase this week? I mean, I, I just said, I saw on the timeline, it looks like he's going full here. I think we're going to put up the the full Friday injury report here in just a little bit on Cincy jungle. But what do you, I mean, do you expect him to just come out and, and guns a blazing? Do you expect him to kind of have a little bit of rust do you expect him? I, I think we've talked about not really expecting him to be limited in terms of a pitch count or snap count or something like that, unless he shows that he is not feeling a hundred percent. But um, I mean, do you expect him to just come out and Hey, here's 10 catches, 140 yards. <laughs> I mean, what do you, what are you expecting out of him on this? I don't know about production. I just feel like if he's playing, he's going to be a hundred percent. They've handled this pretty well. And I don't think that they would play him if they didn't feel like, he could handle his full workload. Now, if that workload comes with another career day against the secondary, then so be it. But if he's out there, I feel like he's he's going to be fine. And I don't know if they're going to be targeting Justin Reed more than they wanted to, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was also the case. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm not really sure. I, I Part of me thinks, you know, if he took a full year off of football, and then came back and did what he did last year at the pro level. Um, I, I tend to think that a month off wouldn't accumulate too much rust. But um, you know, we saw what the summer looked like going up into that into the, yeah. his first pro season. So you never know. Um, but I, I, I tend to think that he'll be fine. And uh, I, I do think that you know, I, I think Burrow is showing that he trusts. T Higgins more and more, not necessarily over chase or anything like that, but he trusts him on a lot of throws and a lot of plays. And so I still think we're going to get a high dosage of, of T Higgins there as well. Uh, we got one more from Bengals Browns football here. Uh, when the Bengals beat the chiefs for the third time, how do you think they will handle being talked about as the best team in the league? Ooh, wow. So if I remember correctly last year, John, I think it was after the first Raiders game where people started saying, Hey, this team arrived. They're for real. They're going to make the playoffs. They may go after the AFC North crown. And then I think that's when some stumbles occurred, if I'm not mistaken with the 49ers game with, uh, I, you know, there, there are a couple stumbles in there where you go, Oh, what happened? Um, obviously earlier in the season, they were starting to get some good, good pub and doing, you know, winning some games. And then they had that jets debacle, uh, that went right into the bye, and then it was they came out with the Raiders game and needed that one. So, um, I, I you know, it's last year their handling of success was kind of mixed bag. I tend to think this is just a different team based on everything they went through last year, how close they were to winning it all. And uh, I, I kind of feel like this is just jobs not done type of mindset, regardless of the wins. Um, but this week's going to tell us a lot, obviously. So, I actually looked this up. Uh, before the show, the Bengals are one of four teams to beat Mahomes in two consecutive meetings, along with, I believe, the Patriots, the Colts, surprisingly enough, and another team 
No team has beaten him three consecutive times that they faced. And if they were to do this on Sunday, they would have done it in an 11-month span. So, yeah, I, I feel like at that point, because they did something so unprecedented against the best quarterback in the NFL, they would get that type of publicity. And like we saw last year, like you said, they didn't really handle that as well because I, I look back to that Ravens game when things really started to, I mean, I came on the radio and said, yeah, they're a legit contender. Then they laid a stinker against the Jets. I think going through everything last year, it taught them a lot about how to handle success. And I feel like they are in, in a better position mentally to take it on and go one week at a time. But it only takes one week and running into a team that's a little bit more hungrier than you and just handles things better than you on that specific day. So we'll see. I feel like they are primed and prepped to handle that type of stardom and everything that comes with that, but they got a job to do first. They have a job to do first. That is for sure. Thank you. Bengals Browns football. And it would not be a complete show without yet another, another donation, super a YouTube super chat donation from Mr. Whisper. Thank you so much. I'm worried about not having Chidobia Wuzie in this game. Is there anything encouraging you can say about how Cam Taylor Britt has played to alleviate these worries? Physical. Physical is how he's played. And I I will say the beats that he has had, this is going to sound really weird. Um, the beats that he has had, and I'm thinking back to the Terrace Marshall touchdown in the end zone, and I'm thinking back to the catch last week, by, by the rookie Burks. Um, they're kind of jump balls. He got mossed a little bit on them. Um, and they were really kind of more great, great plays by wide receivers than bad positioning or bad plays by him. I noticed he had his head around. I noticed he had a hand up. He was kind of there in position on both of those plays and both the guys just kind of made good plays. Thankfully, neither were devastating in, a, in either result and didn't cause a loss. Um, and and what I've seen, I think, in terms of alleviating worries is I've just seen some growth and I've seen a little bit more confidence from him week by week. Now, this is going to be a challenge this week, not only because of the team speed that he faces, but, um, you know, I kind of was thinking, John, about, you know, the, the Tyreek Hill not being there type of thing and how big of a weapon that is. What the Chiefs have kind of been able to do is replicate a lot of what Hill brought by committee. Right. They just kind of this guy can do a little bit of this. This guy can do a little bit of this. This guy. And so they've been able to replicate that production through like three different players as opposed to one all star player. Right. Um, and so I, I think I think Taylor Britt is has his hands full this week in a lot of re regards. But, you know, I, I do have I think him playing physical him not he just doesn't look completely lost to me out there i guess is is what and that may or may not be the best compliment but you've seen corners out there as rookies that are all turned around they're all mixed up they don't know where they're supposed to go and if you remember john in the interview we had with him in the, in the summer he talked about how lou anarumo and his coaching staff talked about you know not making the same mistake twice and not you know really having things down pat before you know if they work on something in practice it was like let's not go full go yet until you completely comprehend exactly what we're doing. And then once you do, then we're going to practice at full go. And I think you're seeing some of that translate so far. Yeah. I think it's not only been the jump balls, unfortunately, there's also been some big plays down the field that Taylor bird has either allowed or a bad pass has prevented it 
from him being yeah. in the yeah. limelight as well. So yeah. there's been a lot of instances where he's passing off routes a little bit late or he's not recognizing when routes kind of come into his zone and he's not picking it up. Now, the good thing is this, this is not his first game out there against the, the Kansas City Chiefs. So he's got experience and he's watched tape of himself make these mistakes. And hopefully he the more time that he's practiced and played as a starter, the slower things tend to be for him and things kind of get slowed down. He's able to recognize these things quicker. Um, I would say that in the Bengals shutting down of Mahomes in both of those second halves, they ended up playing basically like cover one robber where they have like a safety kind of over the middle of the field to intercept some of these uh, over the middle intersecting routes. And a lot of that has to do with funneling things to the middle and passing uh, in breaking routes off towards the safety over the middle of the field. And that's going to be up to Taylor Britt and Neil Apple on the boundaries to always be playing, you know, quicker than what Mahomes and his receivers are doing. So it's going to test the weaknesses of Taylor Britt. But in terms of what you said, the strengths, like he can disrupt timing on routes because of his physicality, main coverage. I don't, I have total confidence in him being able to hold up in main coverage. I don't know how much they're going to do that against the Chiefs offense because of how much success they've had in just dropping back eight in zone. So I think it's really going to test Taylor Britt's, you know, mental capacities in this one. But the, the positive thing and the encouraging thing I would say is that he's had playing experiences and he's gotten better as the weeks have gone on. And with the athletic profile, the high high end athletic profile coming out of college, what is encouraging, I think, also is his ability to recover if he makes a, a bad rep or a bad play in the play. His ability to recover is likely a higher, you know, there's a higher propensity for him to be able to recover on a bad play within the play than other corners um, that don't have that same athletic profile. So. Um, but good question. And thank you again, Mr. Whisper for yet another generous super chat donation. Um, we appreciate it, John, any others that we, this, we, we stuck around longer and we, we were gonna, but we had some awesome donations through the super chats and obviously some great questions throughout any others that you think we need to get to that. We did not try to get through to a lot, a lot of different platforms here. Yeah, so not a question, but thank you to uh, Huday, Brett Bengals Browns football, and obviously our good friend Mr. Whisper for donating to the Pollock Family Foundation. Also, the Hayden Hurst Foundation is going to be the direct beneficiary of Derek Davis and Bengals and Brews. They're doing a fundraiser where you can enter $10 a spot for a raffle for a Joe Burrow painting, so definitely check out uh, what, what they're doing over there. So just, just passing the word along, helping our friend Derek Davis. So thank you, Derek, and the, you, you guys over there for Helping out great cause for Hayden Hurst. Yeah, that's awesome. And, it, you know, it's it's so great to see Hurst really kind of enjoying his time in Cincinnati, thriving in this offense, and obviously a lot of awareness. We, we know that Bengals fans are really, really awesome about bringing awareness and supporting charities. So between Pollock Family Foundation, the Hayden Hurst Foundation, you saw Drew Garrison talk to Ted Karras, this week in the, the Marici Village through the Cincy Hat, cincyhat.com. Go check that out. Um, a lot of good causes supported by Bengals players and being supported by Bengals fans too. So appreciate you bringing that up, John. I was sifting through the comments for questions and I uh, didn't see that one till late. So appreciate you bringing that up. Um, anything else, my friend, before? What, what's your predict? We didn't even do predictions because we were talking with Joe Valerio yesterday. Let's get, mm-hmm. let's get a little predictions and what you think is going to what you think is going to happen this weekend as the Bengals host the chiefs for the AFC championship rematch, just different venue. So I don't think they're going to hold Mahomes to three points in the second half. Again, I feel like that's a two and done situation there, 
but it's it's stupid for me to count out the Bengals in this one. I, I feel like it's beating Mahomes three times in a row is really tough, and it's never been done before. But if any team can do it, like this team is built for that, and I feel like their defense has grown. It stayed consistent. It stayed together. They've helped Taylor Britt along in these past couple of weeks, and I feel like they're going to do enough to potentially outscore them in this game. And I, I'm not betting against Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd all playing on the field against the secondary, which they've had success with in the past. So with all that said, I'm going to go 34 Chiefs, 31 Bengals. <laughs> oh, John, and we know why and what happens when you, my friend, pick not the, always the Bengals to lose. I know, but often I... I, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I have a weird feeling about this one. I, I have a feeling that Cincinnati can just do just enough, make just enough plays. Um, I, I'm really impressed at how the Chiefs have been able to rebound without Tyreek Hill, as I mentioned before. I've, I am very impressed. I think they're going to be very, very good. It would not surprise me at all if the Chiefs win this game. I, I just think, I don't know. I think this little last, hmm, by this dig by Justin Reed here, I, I don't I don't think that sat well with a lot of and I don't I think they already had enough motivation as it was like we talked about earlier in this show. I just I don't think that sat well with a lot of guys in that locker room. And if you know this team, if you saw what happened last week with the the at the kneel downs and the emotion and the passion um, with uh, what happened after Titans players were supposedly, I guess, d- diving at the Bengals offensive lineman's legs at the end of the game, that sort of thing. And um, all of the talk going into that one about the Bengals are, are kind of fraudulent and all that kind of stuff. And here they are, they're seven and four coming off a big win out, out of Tennessee. And so I, I'll say 31, 30 Bengals, um, maybe a last second Evan McPherson kick again, thriller. We'll see what happens. Would not surprise me outcome either way, but uh, I will go with the Bengals in this one, 31-30. We'll see what happens. And uh, with that being said, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the game coming up. Uh, you're, you're, are you going to this one, John? I don't I don't remember if you are. I am not, but I will be watching. I will be watching. <laughs> okay. I'll be watching somewhere, somewhere, <laughs> somehow. Uh, cool. Well, we're going to be doing a, a post-game show. We'll be doing – the aftermath, John and myself, beginning of next week, and then we'll again be sticking to that new format of shows. Hopefully, you are able to join us how you can, whether that's on our YouTube channel, the Cincy Jungle Facebook page for the video uh, side of things. You got to subscribe to our YouTube channel to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. There's an icon right beneath John and underneath that SB Nation logo down there. So click that little orange and black insider icon if you have not yet. Um, so thank you for your support there. And then of course, all the audio stuff from the Cincy jungle podcast channel can be found on your favorite audio streamer. You got to subscribe to the channel there, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google podcasts, iHeartRadio. any of them were there. Check it out. Have a good weekend, John. Thanks for all your work this week, man. I know we've done a lot, but, uh, it's kind of flown by and I feel like we've had some fun, fun shows this week for a big game coming up. Oh, we work for games like this, man. That's what it's all about. Grind. We grind. That's right. (laughs) Take care.